Morning, welcome. Uh, if you're new here, I want to uh, welcome you here. And uh, last week I spoke on what price for revival, and I'm going to follow it up this today by speaking about what price holiness. Ouch, said everybody. <laughs> because there's not a lot of holiness preaching going on these days. But I believe that we have a standard. Do you, do you believe that? I believe we do. So this may upset some, but I'm sure it will excite others. I'm not trying to get in people's faces. I'm not trying to single out a group to pick on. Um, everybody knows that in the media you pick on Christians these days, so we, we don't need anybody else. But what I want to do is have a look at what God says about holiness. Because it's really important, and today holiness is something that is under increased attack. And, and like most churches, not most churches, but many churches are caving in to the, to the narrative that's out there. They're not standing for what God said. So everybody's already getting, they're looking at me going, ouch, this is going to hurt. And maybe it will for some, but I'm, I'm sure some will get excited about it. You know, last week I said, what price revival? I, I put a photograph of a beautiful Ferrari up here. And I said, it, it's gorgeous. I want one of those. Um, but... Um, I, I said to myself, well, I can't afford it, which wasn't true because if I sold uh, my house and my investments and my business and one of my children and a kidney, I could probably afford it. See, it's not that I can't afford it, it's that I'm not prepared to pay the price. And we're like that with revival and frankly, we're like that with holiness. We say, I want to be holy, Lord, make me holy. But we don't really, we're not really prepared to pay the price for it. Am I right? Because there's a price to be paid, and few of us are willing to pay that. So as, as part of this discussion today, I want to ask the question, what price holiness? Because holiness is an essential forerunner of, of revival. You will not have revival until you have holiness in the people of God. I'm not talking about the world out there. They've got their own standards. We have a standard. And so, uh, you know, hopefully this excites many of you. Maybe it will upset a few of you. Um, Josh, it's usually you who upsets people, but today it'll be me. So thank you very much. <laughs> Um, but I believe we need to grow in holiness as the enemy attacks more and more. Do I hear an amen to that? See, holiness is what God is, but we are not. He is holy and he is completely without sin. And let's face it, this side of glory, none of us will be completely without sin. But sin, you might say, well, what's sin? Is it just doing bad things? No, sin is anything that comes between you and God. That's what it is. You know, anything we do or say or think that, that puts a barrier between us and God. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. So God's pretty serious about holiness because he says without it, no one is going to see the Lord. Now, if sin separates us from God, then holiness removes that separation. Despite the fact that it's impossible for us to achieve complete holiness here, God expects us to strive for it, to have a shot for it. He knows we are sinners, but he expects us to be able to be, he says, be holy because I am holy. Now, he wouldn't hold up something that was impossible and make us do it and make that the standard to get into heaven. He wouldn't do that. But he is holy. We can be holy as he is holy. You know, we, th that's what we need to shoot for. And you might ask the question, well, why can't I just become a Christian and accept Jesus as my saviour and then just keep on sinning and doing whatever I want to do? That's the question of holiness. Because you can't be a Christian and just go on your merry way and do whatever you like. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap, said Billy Graham. So I want to talk about the marrying of fruit and passion. Now, passion fruit, there's a photo of it up here. I love passion fruit. We have a passion fruit vine that's producing lots of passion fruit. And uh, that's great because and, and Lily, my granddaughter, loves passion fruit. She calls it passafruit. So if you want passafruit, come to my place. I've got lots of them. But if you want passion and fruit, I'm talking about something a little bit different. If you See, if you are passionate for Christ, if you are in love with Christ, then your actions should bear fruit that reflects that love and passion. Am I right? 1 Peter 1 verse 14 to 16. If you've got it there in your Bible, look at it. You might have it on your phone. If you've got our church app, all the notes are there with the verses. Um, but it says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. See, holiness is not just about being religious and judgmental. 
It's not about rituals and bells and smells and all that sort of stuff. Holiness is about love and devotion and passion. And, and the holiness is the byproduct of being passionate for someone you love. If we love him, if we say we love him, if we claim to love Jesus, yet our life doesn't reflect that, our love is worth nothing. Because your actions, the, the fruit of what you're doing, should reflect your passion for Christ. Love, devotion, passion should lead us to pleasing the one whom we claim to be devoted to. I was counselling some years ago with a friend of mine and he, he told me, this is the conversation we had, he said, I love my wife and children but I'm having an affair and I don't want to give that up. What do I do? And I said to him, well, you can start by being honest and saying you don't love your wife and children. You might think, well, that's a bit harsh. Maybe he feels that he does love them. Maybe he feels that he does love them. But the reality is love is not just a feeling. It's, it's, it's an act of the will. If you loved them, you would not be with the mistress. Because love should be reflected in what we do. If we are passionate, it should be reflected in what we do. If you truly loved your wife and children, you would either repent and come back to them or not do it in the first place. But there's no way you can say, I want to continue this one, but I love them. Because you don't. Because real love is expressed in what you, in, you know, comes out in, in the fruit of what is going on in your life. So let me ask you a question. Where's the bar set? God calls us to be holy because he's holy and he sets the bar. Now, I heard about a, a young boy playing basketball like this, and he looked pretty good. He was able to, you know, it was very impressive. He could sort of do slam dunks and hold on to the rim and swing, you know, like all the NBA guys. And he thought he looked pretty awesome and looked great until you realize that the janitor had lowered the basket. So it's a, a basketball should be 10 feet or 3 meters above the ground, and this was under 2 meters. But he looked fantastic doing it. It's just the basket was lowered to his level. And we are like that. We do, we, you know, we do what we think is right. We look good. But in fact, what we've done is lower the standard so that we can look good. That happens right across our society. We compromise and water down God's standards to suit ourselves or to suit whatever society's narrative is at the time. I mean, think about Australia in 2022. Think about it now. If you believe in the sanctity of life and are against abortion, you are in the minority. If you believe in traditional marriage, you are in the minority. If you believe in homosexu that homosexuality is a sin and unnatural, then according to all the polls that I've seen, you are in the minority. If you believe in abstinence, that men and women should abstain from sex until marriage, you are in the minority even among Christian churches, and that's sad. If you believe that God creates male and female and doesn't make mistakes, you are in the minority. Welcome to the minority. Here's a newsflash. God's in the minority with you, and anyone plus God is a majority. Latest census results. Did you see the census results at all that came out? We did a census a little while ago in the middle of COVID or lockdown or whatever it was, it was a silly census, really. It was a snapshot of a very abnormal time. But anyway, the results have just come out and uh, Australians identifying as Christian, although Christianity remained the nation's most common religion, the number declared by the census was 43.9% down from 61 just 10 years ago. Meanwhile, the number of Australians who said they had no religion rose to 38.9%, up from 30.1% in 2016. See, don't say you live in a Christian country if you're in Australia. This is a secular country. It's not a Christian country. It's a secular country. The, the world is telling us Christianity is on the wane. But I'm not upset, I'm excited. Do you know why? You know why those results excite me? Because God always prunes back before he has a big harvest. That excites me because all the dead wood is gone. All the people that say they were Christians and didn't act that, they're gone. They've now moved over to the no religion bit. I think God is, is, is distilling down his people into a mighty army that will take our nation for Christ. That's what I think. In the 21st century in Australia, Christians are bending, sadly, and compromising what has been considered basic truth and common sense since the dawn of time. And they're doing it to try and fit in. 
to be inclusive, to avoid controversy. That's why we do, we're not doing it because God's word says that. We're trying to twist God's word to suit our society. That's what we're doing. Paul warns Timothy prophetically about Christians who are, and I quote, 2 Timothy 3 verse 4, Christians who are treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. And then he says, avoid such people. That sums up pretty much a lot of mainstream church in this country. They have the appearance of godliness. They've got crosses everywhere and they, there's guys wearing robes and all that sort of stuff. That's fine. They, but then they're denying the power because they are compromising God's word. That's not holiness, that's lowering the bar to suit ourselves. The Greek word for appearance, having the appearance of godliness, is the word morphosis, is the word morphosis which means to shape in the resemblance of a form of godliness. It's devoid of the power that true holiness contains, the power of the Spirit of God. See, tall, steeple, few people churches are emptying because they are compromising God's standards. Okay? And, and look, no denomination is free of this stuff. There'll be people in our denomination and, and, and other churches where we're compromising God's standards to try and fit in with society. So what is sin? What is this big deal about sin? Why can't I just sin and have a good time and, and then God will just accept me? Well, sin is really, you know, none of us is perfect. We all sin. But why does God set the bar so high? Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For how many? All. So have you sinned? Yes, you have. Have I sinned? Yes, I have. We've all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. Now the word for sin is hamayano, which literally means to miss the mark. So I don't know if you're into archery at all, but that's what it's like when I shoot for the target in archery. Looks a bit like that. And sin is missing the mark. Literally, that's the literal meaning. God has a standard, <coughs> he has a standard, a mark, a level of holiness, and we miss it. Am I right? Okay. Now, I was watching, as, in, as I do a bit, just a little bit, I was watching football, okay, and, and I was watching um, uh, some of the uh, World Cup qualifying um, matches. This is football played with foots, people. Um, but they had a penalty shootout in one of them, okay, and in the penalty shootout, one guy slipped coming in and he sent the ball into row Z. Like, like about 15 miles over the thing and right up into the stands. Then another guy came along a little bit later and he curled this beautiful ball right into the corner. The goalie missed it, but then it hit the post and went out. Close, but no cigar. You see, according to the rules of the game, both of those people failed. Both of them failed to score a goal. Both of them failed to hit the mark. When you fail to hit the mark by God's standard, it could be by a lot, it could be by a little, you still failed. You know, you can't say, well, I nearly got it. You know, if, if, if you throw the ball in basketball and it goes around the hoop and comes out, that's not counted as a basket. The only game in the world where you get points for missing is Australian rules. Everybody else, you don't. Because they have a standard. and you, So what's the answer? Do we make goals bigger? Do we make posts thinner? I don't know. You know, you're talking about a standard and if you miss it by a little or by a lot, you still miss the standard. And we all, in the area of sin, have failed to hit God's standard, either by a little or a lot, but the fact is you've failed and you need to repent and let, God's, let the, the blood of his son wash you clean. That's the point. The way to get re reconnected to God, the way to be free of sin, the way to have eternal life is not by lowering the standards so that you can make the cut. It's by, by him keeping his standards of holiness where they've always been, but sacrificing his son to pay the way for you to meet that standard. Don't lower the bar. Let the blood of Jesus raise you up. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
See, the penalty doesn't change. The standard doesn't change. God is and always will be holy, but he made a way for you to be brought back to himself. That's the difference between Christianity and all the other religions in the world. All the religions in the world is man trying to do stuff to reach a standard to hope that God will accept them. But Christianity is God in the form of Jesus Christ reaching down to man and drawing him to himself. That's the difference. You haven't got... People say, I can't become a Christian, I'm too sinful. Perfect! We'll take it. Because if you're sinful, you can be washed clean of that. You can have a clean conscience today. You can walk out of here a new creation. Oh, but I'm too sinful for God. You're never too sinful for God. He paid the price to win you back. He's not going to lower his standards, but the blood of his son can help you uh, become acceptable to him. So what exactly is holiness? We talk about it, but what exactly is it? 1 Peter 1 verse 15 says, But as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct. The word hagios in Greek, it means pure, without blemish, without stain, without compromise. God's standards are without compromise. Today's standards in the world change every five minutes. Have you noticed that? Something that was unacceptable ten years ago is now considered acceptable. In fact, it's pushed so hard, if you don't accept it, you're ostracized. I mean, that's a fact. You know, we've got to, I'm going to be pretty blunt about some of the things I say here. Now, the strongest lobby group around at the moment, lobbying governments, lobbying the media, the big sporting people, and getting their way... You know who I'm talking about. But the strongest lobby group right around the world and in this nation don't know who they are. So we're being asked to blindly follow someone who has no clue who they are. And how do I know they have no clue who they are? I look this up. I'm talking about the LGBTQQIP2SAA. That stands for... Take a big breath before I read this out. Okay. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, questioning, intersex, pansexual, two-spirit and asexual, and ally. I think the last A should be for alphabet soup because it's just a bunch of... And, and they keep adding to it or changing it around. So the strongest lobby group that's making everybody bend to their will right across society don't know who they are. It's like, follow me. I haven't got a clue who I am or where I'm going, but follow me. And everybody blindly does, including some Christians. So let me ask you the question, who's shaping you? When you are called to holiness, uh, when we are called to holiness, we are called to a passion, to be passionate for the things of God, not the world. Now have a close look at 1 Peter 1 verse 15. It says, as obedient children, do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. Let me say that again. Do not conform to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That the te by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, both of these passages use the word conformed. What does that word mean? In the Greek, the word is syskematio. Uh, and it means shaped, formed, or squeezed, or moulded into the shape of something else. It means forced into that shape. Not, not naturally, but being forced into a, another shape. So what does the world's passion look like? What are, you, what are they trying to shape you into? You should know this stuff. Because if you don't know it, before you know it, you'll be shaped already and you won't know that it's even happened. 1 John 2 verse 15 to 16, uh, a famous verse, but I love this verse. Do not love the world or anything in the world. I love it because it's practical. It says this, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. What it's saying is if you, are, if you say you love God, but you're passionate for the things of the world, have a good look at that. Then it says this, for everything that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life come not from the Father, but from the world. So when the moon shines, well, you know when you've got a moon, you say, well, the moon is shining so bright tonight. Here's the thing, the moon is not shining at all. The moon is reflecting. It's reflecting the light of the sun. Now it can have various phases, as you can see. What are the phases? 
The phases are where the earth, the shadow of the world, comes across the, 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 um, the sun, and that's the shadow of, of our world, you see, carved across the moon. Similarly, we, we, should, we should be reflecting the sun to our society, shouldn't we? But the shadow of the world starts to pass across us and our ability to reflect that is diminished and diminished and diminished until in the end, if you have an eclipse, there's no light there because the world is fully shadowing it. Our enemy here is called the world. Here John refers to, and the world doesn't mean the earth and, you know, climate and all that sort of stuff. The world means the earth system. That's what he's talking about here. The system headed, headed by Satan who draws us away from God's love and God's will. So if you love the world rather than loving God, who owns your passions? Who? The world does. Of course they do. And what the world wants to do is to exclude you from God. It wants to push you away from God and everybody else. So what does the world offer you to compromise your standards? I mean, it's got to offer you something. Let's have a look at the three things it offers. First of all, the lust of the flesh. It promises to satisfy legitimate desires in illegitimate ways. How many of you are saying, that's what I looked like yesterday morning? I did. I was very hungry. But, but see, see it's, it's trying to satisfy le legitimate desires, but in illegitimate ways. So, for example, glut, uh, um, eating is legitimate, gluttony is worldly. Sex is legitimate, immorality is worldly. Anything that the world offers to satisfy your, your base fleshly desires is a lust of the flesh. So, whether it's alcohol or drugs or TV or movies or video games, uh, if it controls you rather than you controlling it... It's a lust of the flesh. Does that make sense? Because when you're, when you're eating normally, you're controlling what you eat. But some, some things, sometimes things get out of whack and suddenly what you eat is controlling you. It's the driving force in you. Romans 8 verse 6 to 8 says this, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Let me say that again. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The second thing is the lust of the eyes. The biblical word for this is covetedness, which is desiring and pursuing that which is not legitimate for you to have. So whether it's a lifestyle that you shouldn't lead, or somebody else's car, somebody else's house, somebody else's wife right? Your eyes are the door to opening this area of temptation and we need to guard our eyes. Job said in Job 31 verse 1, I've made a covenant with my eyes, how could I gaze upon a virgin, upon a woman? And he made a covenant with his eyes and frankly guys, a lot of us need to do that. Make a covenant with our eyes and say, I'm not going to open the door of sin through my eyes. The third thing is the pride of life. The pride of life. How interesting that June internationally was declared Pride Month. Did you know that? It was. You know, celebrating all things alphabet soupish. So I think it's fascinating that, that they've called it Pride Month because pride, folks, is the original sin. It's the number one. Like when, when Sid started out, the first, part, the first aspect of it was pride. That's what caused Lucifer to fall in the first place. Now, there's legitimate pride in what you do, but that's, there's also a destructive pride. Proverbs 11 verse 2, when pride comes, then comes disgrace with the humble is wisdom. Uh, uh, Psalm 10 verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked do not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And that's what pride, that's what this pride month is about. They're saying, there is no God. What we want is what's important. What does God say about pride? Well, in Proverbs 6, Verse 16, he lists, says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. The first cab off the rank is pride. Haughty eyes. James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And what's more, here's what God's going to do about it. Psalm 59, verse 12 says, For the sin of their mouths, the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the, for the cursing and lies that they utter. It's no, you know, the bottom line is, if you want to get close to God, if you want to be someone in God's kingdom, you cannot tolerate being squeezed into a shape 
that is going to resemble the world. We have to be, we have to say God is sovereign. We have to put our trust in him and we have to stand for what is right. We have to, this shouldn't be, this should be lay aside your pride month. Shouldn't it? Because pride is the driving factor for so many people. So your basic choice here this morning is to conform or transform. It's your choice. Without holiness, the Bible says, no one will see, the, will see the Lord. Holiness might be expressed in our attitudes, our opinions, our conduct, but how we act is really just a reflection of our inner life. Any dead fish can float with the stream, but it takes a live fish to swim against the stream. And some of us have been floating for a bit on some of this, and I believe we need to perk up and get alive again, don't you? And swim against the stream on some of these issues. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we can conform or we can transform. We can't renew our own minds, but when we face, we face a simple decision, we conform or transform. So conform means we lower the bar and say, good for us, how, how good are we? We can keep it. But transform says, you know, society wants to lower it down here and say, hey, you're doing great, you're conforming to what we want. But transform is a choice that we say, well, I'm going to transform my mind. I'm going to make the decision, Lord, I'm going to hand my mind to you and say, renew it. And that's how we can transform our mind. So how can our, our minds be renewed? Well, it's the opposite of the three things we just saw in, in 1 John. So lust of the flesh means you don't let anything control you. Resist addictions and, and things that promise satisfaction but harbour long-term being controlled by someone or something else. And that's, let's face it, that's how they get you in. The first experience in drugs is usually a good one. And that's how you get sucked in. Because before you know it, they're controlling you. The second one is lust of your eyes. Guard what you look at. Be it movies, TV, books, news sites, pornography, shopping sales. Some of those shops, sale is a demonic word, I'm absolutely convinced. <laughs> so watch that stuff. Do you ever find yourself on, like, on, on the internet or Facebook or something like that and you just feel like you want to buy something? You don't care what? You don't, you don't get that? I, I get that sometime. Oh, this big bag of dog food in my, in my cupboard. I don't even have a dog, you know. <laughs> the pride of life. Be humble and serve instead of promoting your own agenda and time. I, I always used to say to people, they gave me a badge for humility, but they took it off me because I wore it. <laughs> right? And that's what it's like. You know, we should be humble. We should really be humble. We are called to renew our minds and to be holy. How can we renew our minds and be holy? Well, it starts with a decision, a choice not to conform, but to transform, to stand for what is right and true, and be careful how you choose. James 4 verse 4, and look, if you think I'm being tough this morning, and I am, I'm raising a standard here this morning, I'm not trying to offend you, I'm raising a standard, but if you think I'm tough, you should see James, like in the book of James. He starts off, James 4 verse 4, you adulterous people. Okay, how to win friends and influence adulterous people. Do you not know, listen to this, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity to God? I'll say it again, friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, James says. I didn't say it, James said it. It's in the book of, of, of the word of God, you know. And if, you make your, if you're a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. That's pretty big stakes. So while many church people are compromising today to stay tight with the world, what they're actually doing is making themselves an enemy of God, according to the Word of God. And then they complain that no one's coming to their churches anymore because they are spineless and they are bending over to society's standards, not God's standard. I've been very proud, I'm proud of all of my, my three daughters. I love them all dearly. One was singing up here and she's awesome. And uh, Kira's out there being sick, I think, again today, or Reed's being sick. But Christy, my youngest daughter, is a doctor. Now, some of you here are doctors, but she, was caused, she, she put a Facebook post out there defending the unborn as a doctor. And it was really, I called her up, I said, can I use what you've written there? Because she, she really defended herself with dignity and respect. You see, just because you stand for something that's different to the world doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. 
You can stand for something in love. And I watched her, I, people came, people wrote on her Facebook, you are not worthy to be a doctor. Because she, she supports, as, as you heard during the week, the Roe versus Wade decision. The overturning of that. Now, she was directly attacked for being a doctor and her profession was attacked. They said, you are not worthy to be a doctor. But I would like to quote to you how she responded to one such attack. And Christy, you're probably listening, you'll probably recognise this. But, you know, we can be attacked and we can lash back and we can carry on. But listen to how she approached this. I'm so proud of her. She said this. The fundamentals of medical ethics were said to have been born in the Hippocratic Oath, which includes the sentence, I will not give a lethal drug to anyone if I am asked, nor will I advise such a plan. And similarly, I will not give a woman a pessary to cause an abortion. That's in the Hippocratic Oath. Then she writes this, though now our society has made us swear a modified version without that in it. To allow doctors to perform euthanasia and abortion in Australia. She writes this, but that does not make it morally right. Additionally, making something legal is condoning that it is socially acceptable. Then she says, even in Australian law, being pro-life does not mean someone cannot be a doctor. I would hope, if I'm, if I'm seeing a doctor, I would hope he is pro my life. You know, but this is an emotive area that has been so clouded. And look, you know my heart on abortion. We set up Lily House to try and stop abortion. So we've actually done something to try and limit abortion, right? But you know my heart on the, on the murder of the unborn. Call it what it is. But there is a doctor defending herself with grace and dignity and not attacking back but saying to them, this is, this is my truth, this is my reality, and I will not back down from it. 1 Peter 3 verse 15 says, In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to make a defence for anyone who asks you the reason for your hope, but do that with gentleness and respect. And this is where we've gone wrong as churches. We have, we have stood for what is right in the past, but we've done it without love, without gentleness and without respect. Haven't we? I've been talking about the church as a whole. And we need to do it with gentleness and respect. I was once uh, out at a, um, a gathering and I, the, the, the guy who invited me was gay. I didn't know that. And I said, on the way there, I said, asked Fiona about his husband. She said, I think he's gay. I said, no, I can't be gay. Sure enough, he is. So he turned up and uh, he has his partner there and a couple of other gay couples and myself and Fiona, who are not. And everything was going swimmingly. Until someone said, so what do you do? <laughs> well, I said, well, I'm, I'm an optometrist and I'm a pastor. Well, <laughs> it was like icicles in there. And they had a little powwow off to one side and they came to me. One of the guys came to me and he said, I've got to ask you this. I've got to ask you this. I said, yep, fire away. He said, do you approve of my lifestyle? I said, well, let me ask you a question first. Do you approve of mine? <laughs> I go around the world telling people about Jesus and preaching and singing and stuff. I said, here's the thing. I don't approve of your lifestyle. I bet you don't approve of mine. But can't we just lay that aside and be friends? He came back to me and he said, that is the best statement I've ever heard. He remains my friend to this day. You see, we, we, we have attacked the people in the past but we've got to stop attacking people and start attacking issues we need to be tolerant towards people even people we don't agree with but we have to lovingly love them unconditionally and be kind and, and caring but we must remain intolerant to bad ideas we the world is trying to tell us if you love someone if you genuinely love someone you will let them do whatever you want whatever they want but that's not true. You can love someone and disagree with what they do and tell them, but still love them. How many of you husbands know that your wife still loves you even if she disagrees with you? Is that true? Ladies, do you, do you sort of take your love back because they're not obeying? You shouldn't. You should love unconditionally. 
Don't know about obeying. <laughs> He's allowed to have an opinion too. <laughs> Newsflash. Never mind. Um, we have to be tolerant towards people, but intolerant towards bad ideas. Romans 12 verse 9 says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor the evil, the idea. Abhor it. Hold fast to what is good. Very next words, love one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honour. So we need to tolerate people, but not the sin. Hate the sin, but love the people. And do it properly. I've been on a double date with Fiona and I and a gay couple. We went out on a double date together. I abhor what they're doing, but I love them as people and I told them so. They, ha they are in no doubt as to what I think about the what they're doing. No doubt at all. But I love them because they're people, folks. This is where we've got to get it right. Tolerate people, hate the sin. The world tolerates and champions and each and every minority at the moment. If you're a minority, the world is going to champion you till the cows come home. Tiny minorities. Here's an example. Let's say 1.5 to 2% of people are gay. How many people appear in television shows that are gay? 100% of television shows coming out of the United States in particular have to have a gay person in it. 100% for a 2% you know, minority. The world loves minorities. The world is in love with and championing minorities all across the country except one minority. That's us as Christians. We're open slather. We're, they can attack us however they want. They can pull us down. They can jail us. They can insult us. But folks, I reckon when we're set upon like this, let me quote Winston Churchill, this could be their finest hour. I reckon when the world attacks, we've got the greatest opportunity to shine than ever before. Philippians 2 verse 15. Be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine like lights in the world. We have the opportunity to shine. We've got an opportunity now to shine we never had before. But now we can. We can be different See, people didn't even give Christianity credit before because they looked the same as everyone else. But now we're different. Put a target on us. But we, the way we respond is going to show how much we love. So let me ask, what price holiness? What price do we place on holiness? We should be prepared to stand for holiness for God's truth, no matter the cost, even if it costs us everything. Are you ready to be a soldier for Christ? Are you ready to stand for truth in this perverse generation? That's my question to you this morning. Are you ready? Will you say, yep, I'm going to do it. I'm going to stand for what is right. You can do it a hundred different ways. You can do it when you talk to your friends. You can do it on Facebook. You can do it anyone you meet. Just say, no, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. And be kind and be loving and be respectful, but you don't have to agree with everything you're dished. You just don't. So how can we achieve holiness in this generation? I'm going to give you a few steps. Number one, decide that God's word is the standard for holiness. God's word. See, God's word says that if you're a friend of the world and its standards, you are an enemy of God. The thing is, society changes their standards every two minutes, depending on who's in charge, what modern opinion is, and forces like the media. If you find yourself saying that the Bible should change with the times, you are on shaky ground. Because the Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Bible says 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see, this is life. This is truth. The problem with truth these days is truth changes all the time. And if it does, it never was truth in the first place. How can you have a truth that changes all the time? It's not truth. It doesn't work. It's impossible. So you have to have some kind of standard in your life. You have to have some, you, you, you know, you have to have an opinion on things. You have to have a standard in your life. The question is, is your standard going to be the word of God? Or is it going to be what society tells you you should be believing in right now? I couldn't believe when I've talked to people, they say, that's hate speech. You know, it's not. It's love speech. Because I'm telling you, as your pastor, go and love people that you don't agree with. Reach out to them, care for them, love them. It's love speech. It's not hate speech. We don't hate them. 
We love them all. For God so loved the world. We're talking about the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's our standard, folks, to love. We just don't have to agree with everything. The second thing is to guard your heart and your eyes. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. When you choose holiness, you have to guard yourself against attacks by the enemy. And there are plenty of enemies out there to attack, as we've seen when I quoted my daughter, the doctor there. Remember, in the eyes of the modern world, in the eyes of the modern world, you have to tolerate every person with every opinion and agree with everything, that they, they, everything that's in their point of view. You have to tolerate everyone except Christians. Them you can mercilessly attack and accuse of anything you like. But everybody else you have to tolerate. That's the world's view. But we have to guard our eyes and our hearts. Because you can get pretty bitter about this. You can, you can feel like the world's turned on you. I saw a quote uh, from a guy just as she was doing some sparks, I seen one of the sparks, and the, uh, one gentleman said, I can't remember his name, but he said this. He said, sometimes I feel like the whole world is against me. And then I stop and I realise that some of the smaller countries are neutral. I like that. Because <laughs> sometimes you feel like the whole world is against you. But they're not. The word of God is on your side and, and this is where if we guard our hearts and our, our eyes and our minds, we can stand. The third thing is to renew your mind. We are called to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now you can't remove, renew your own mind, but you conform or transform. If you choose transform, you can let the word of God wash your mind. Philippians 4 verse 8. This is a cool verse. Because you might say, well, I wonder how I can renew my mind. What can I do that will renew my mind? Listen to this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything of excellence or worthy of praise, think about these things. That's how you renew your mind. That's the key. You covenant with the Lord to fill your... Lord, I'm only going to let through my eye gate and my ear gate. I'm only going to fill my mind with the things of God. I'm not going to fill my mind with all the other stuff. So that should colour the sort of movies you watch, the sort of books you read, the sort of music you listen to, the computer games you play, the internet sites you visit. See, if you say to the Lord, there's my standard, I'm going to stick to that standard... There is strength, you know, there is strength when you say, Lord, I'm just going to think about the really good things. I have to confess to you, when I was away um, in Tasmania for a couple of weeks, uh, I was in a room one night, there was just regular television, and for the first time in about five years, I watched a news bulletin. I confess it, I confess it. Because I normally don't watch the news bulletins, because they're just bad news bulletins. I, I, and I got to the end of this news bulletin and I thought, I am not enriched. Bet you think that too sometimes. I just, th there was nothing good in there. There was nothing really positive that added to my life. It was just negativity. You can choose what you put in. You can choose. Choose wisely. The fourth thing is to stand together. There is strength in numbers and that's what church is about. We can stand together against the enemy. We can stand together as one, join our shields of faith together. Together we are stronger. Even if we don't agree on everything collectively, we can still stand together for Christ in this crooked generation. Do I hear an amen to that one? Because you might not agree with me, I might not agree with you, but Jesus didn't say they'll know we're Christians by our agreeing with one another. He said by our love for one another. That's why Hebrews 10 says this, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There is strength in numbers, folks. There really is. So they're the four steps. Decide God's word is the standard. Guard your heart and eyes. Renew your mind and stand together. We are better together. One of the great attacks on our society and also Christianity right now is that the, the enemy is preaching to us through all the media and to, it's good to be alone. It's good to be isolated. If you're isolated, you won't get this horrible disease because you're isolated. And so we've got people all over the place isolating. That is the worst thing in the world for Christians. 
You, when you isolate, the enemy just picks you off. You need to pull together. You need to stand together. Am I right? There's strength in numbers. So I want to encourage you as we wrap it up, don't bend, bow. What price holiness? Everything we need to commit to standing for what, what is God's truth, no matter what they throw at us. Are you prepared to pay that? Are you prepared to say, I'm going to stand on the word of God no matter what they throw at us? You might, your opinion might not be the same as mine, but justify it from scripture for me. If you can justify it from scripture, I'm ready to listen. But if you say, well, the world says this, or this is what people expect now, that don't wash. The challenge is we need to stand for holiness for what is true and right and honourable and of God, but we need to do so while still loving and, and not rejecting and not judging those who disagree with us. We need to love and accept them as people, even if we reject their ideas. That's what we have to do. Love and accept them as people, even if we, we reject their ideas. See, we are called to holiness, folks, not holier than thouness. We shouldn't judge others because they sin differently to you. We all sin. So we need to keep God's standards whilst loving everybody else. If you stand for what God says, expect to be attacked by those who are aligned with this world system and its master. And when you stand and when you are attacked, you have a choice. You're either going to bend with them or you're going to get on your knees and bow and say, Lord, I'm going to stand for you. You stand for the Lord on your knees. See, sadly, even in the church, we're seeing plenty of bending. But let me encourage you with these words from Jesus, who talked about, talked about end times. This is a, a, a prophetic word from Jesus from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, where Jesus looks ahead to what the end time is. He gives, gave the, the, the disciples a parable. And then he said, have a look at this, because he started to explain the parable in Matthew 13, verse 37 to 43. Listen to what Jesus says. The one who sows the good seed, so the, the parable was... There was good seed sown, there was weeds sown in it. And, and they said, well, do we try and pull out the weeds? He said, no, wait till the end when they're all grown up and, and then we'll remove the weeds right at the end. This is what Jesus said. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed is the sons of the kingdom. It's you and I. The weeds are the sons of the enemy. And the enemy who, who sowed among them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's what he's talking about. You see, the weeds invariably grow higher. And so they, they, even among Christians, even among churches, we've got weeds sown in here. And we, we can't pick them all out. We can't, sometimes you can't even tell the difference because we're so religious. They all look the same. But I'm telling you, at the end of time, God will sort this and I want to be in the good pile, not the discarded pile. If we decide to pay the price, we can remain holy and we can stand against the great sins and excesses that our society now tells us are acceptable. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and be at peace. As a young Christian, uh, I was inspired by the powerful words of Keith Green. Anybody here like that? And he had a very famous album. I'll put the cover up here. Thank goodness we got this working. I'll put the cover up here. There it is. The album was called No Compromise. And at, at, when I listened to that album, just as a young Christian, I thought to myself, man, I want to be like that. I, I want to not compromise. See, ultimately, you are responsible for how you respond to this. He had a, he, it was the words of one of his songs. Make my life a prayer to you. I want to do what you want me to. No absent words and no white lies, no token prayers, no compromise. Some of you are singing it at me. No compromise. And that inspired me. And even today, I'm in that same mode, that same stand. I'm saying, you know what? I don't want to compromise anymore. I don't want to. I want to stand for God's standards. Ultimately, you and you alone are accountable for your behavior before the Lord. You're not going to stand there with your friends and give an account. You're not going to stand there with your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your kids 
or your parents before the throne of God and give an account, it will be you and you alone. And so we all, the Bible says, will have to account for everything we've said and done. But I thank God that I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. And that when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I want to stand there with a pure heart and say, Lord, I stood for you, despite anything they threw at me. It's, it's hard, but I believe that this nation needs a voice in the opposite direction to everything that's running one way. And I believe that you and I could be that voice. Are you with me? Because it's hard to find a balance of trying to love those who attack us while not compromising faith and truth. But this nation needs men and women who will stand up strong enough and say enough. And I believe that can be us this morning, don't you? That's what God is saying to us. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And let's just pray in the presence of the Lord. There are many things that we can say before God right now. We can say, I'm offended. We can say, I'm upset. Or we can say, Lord, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to bow. I'm going to stand for what is right and true in our nation. I'm going to surrender my whole life to you and say, Lord, have your way. Some of you here are thinking, well, that's a pretty big commitment. Yes, it is. But the great things of life are not won by by wishy-washy, spineless commitments. They are won by people who make a stand and say, yes, I'll be the one. And I believe in this church we have many who who will stand and say, yes, Lord, choose me. I make a decision right now. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to bend. I'm going to bow. But I'm still going to love people because they will know we are Christians by the love we have, not by our holier-than-thou convictions or judgment, by our love. So if you say, Lord, I want to stand for you this morning, what you're saying is, I want to stand for you and continue to love people who I disagree with. It's a huge commitment. It's a life-changing commitment. But I made that years ago listening to an album by Keith Green. I said, I'm going to make that commitment now. No compromise. That's it. I'm done. I'm not rolling over. I'm not graying it out. I'm not blending the lines anymore. I'm just going to stand and do so in love. We're going to sing. Just just ponder in your heart as we sing this, this song. You know, are you willing to surrender it all to Him? Are you willing to say, Lord, whatever the cost, I don't care. I will stand for what is right and true in my nation. I will stand for godliness in my nation. Sing together all to Jesus.